Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael, your captain of the USS Rainman Digital, and at the helm is my Android compadre, David Sabal. Hello. Well, at least I'm not a bird person because they're just weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not gonna be licking your hole. <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. Or screaming out in ecstasy. <laughs> I'm not sure what I even watched in this episode. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. All right. So if you're new to our shows, you can find the podcast version of this broadcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Our preferred feeds are iTunes and Spotify. Just simply search Star Trek from the holodeck. Also, if you're a YouTube type of person, you can catch our live feeds on our network YouTube page, Rainman Digital. Just type in youtube.com slash Rainman Digital. Be sure to click subscribe and give us a thumbs up. All right. So just like that little preview David gave you guys, we're going to be discussing and talking about Star Trek Lower Decks, episode seven of season three, titled A Mathematically Perfect Redemption. The synopsis, a wayward Starfleet ensign struggles to find a path <laughs> to redemption. Really, though? <laughs> I was about to say, not really. Not well, really. What a bait and switch with that synopsis. But, dude, I do love the fact that they're... Laura Dex is coming up with some of the... Uh, coming up with some of the most intriguing, like, rogues gallery. Okay. When it comes to rogues gallery. Okay. We're on the same page. It, it, Especially at the very end. Yes. When they do the whole thing and I'm like, like okay, mm -hmm. that was cool. Right. That to me was probably the strongest element of the episode was the fact that this whole time we were watching essentially an origin story of a villain. Yes. That part I can get behind. And that was the saving grace of this episode. Because honestly, Dave, just like I said a couple moments ago, I'm not sure what I even watched. <laughs> I mean, this is a dangerous line to be walking down when when you deal with star trek canon now if this was just a like a one-off series or i should say um a closed a closed universe series that wasn't actually a part of star trek canon then i'd say you know what yuck it up get stupid get silly do what you want because this isn't star trek canon this is star trek canon yes now, not to say it wasn't funny, there were some funny parts, but this felt like an unproduced script that McMahon had originally written during his days on Rick and Morty. This did feel more like a Rick and Morty episode than anything else. It didn't even feel like Star Trek at all. In fact, it was borderline perverse 
and tone also <laughs> yes. like Rick and Morty. I will say that, as I said, the element that saves the overall episode is that we were basically watching the continuation of a villain origin story, and that part was a pleasant surprise. But, yeah. out, but outside of that, David, this episode is straight garbage. If like, you, it's just a trash episode. If you didn't have that ending, especially with, especially with the reveal of Peanut Hamper, the Peanut Hamper reveal in the end, and then when you take a step back and you realize, oh, we're not supposed to actually, this is not the atypical, oh, look, a Star Trek episode where it's the good guys we're following. No, you're supposed to, this is a setup for one of their more villains. And I'm like going, okay, all right. I could get behind this because up to this point in three seasons, I think Lord Dix has done some of the best villains. When it comes to Star Trek, I mean, they have Badgie. They you got mean fun, funny villains. <laughs> I want to say the best villains, not Dave. the best villains, but the be- uh, the the funniest villains for this series. Yes. When you when you compare like villains for each Star Trek series, Laura Dex villains actually do stick stick with you because they're clever. Yeah. You know, and it's you know laced with a with a with a certain amount of humor. Humor and cynicism. Yeah. Badgie's different, though. Badgie was smart. Badgie was clever. I mean, you had... It just said so much. And it was actually philosophical. And it had a lot to do with Rutherford's development as a character. As a character. Whereas with this, it was just... It was just dirty for no reason. (laughs) No reason For no reason at all. Now, I want to clarify a few things. I'm not offended by perverse humor. Come on. Listen to us. Okay. We, we say a lot of foul shit, but I feel conflicted seeing something like this that's wearing the colors of Star Trek. Yes. It's not the sexual content that I find untasteful for Star Trek. Trek has always flirted with a type of sexual liberation. I mean, yeah. Tasha, Tasha Yar plowed the fuck out of date in the first season. <laughs> first season. I, I mean, there's been illusions that Klingons have two dicks. You know, Star Trek's always been very, always played fast and loose with sexuality, and it would make sense because of its origins from the 1960s, which was in the midst of a sexual liberation movement. So that makes sense that it's always going to be there. It's always going to be a part of the foundation of Star Trek. But this isn't about being open with sex, this episode. This is just perverse for perverse sake. Perverse sake, yeah. And it's not even original. Uh, the, the so-called bird people is ripped from Rick and Morty. There's yes. literally character characters that are bird people. Yeah. And they're called bird people, just like in this show here or in this episode. The sexual humor and the pansexualism as put forward in this episode and how it was presented, the, the discussion between Rada or Raw Dog <laughs> and peanut hamper, peanut hamper on how sex will work is ripped from Rick and Morty when they're trying to figure it out before the, you know, the camera or the, the animated camera pulls back to the waterfall. So we miss all the dirty deeds. Yes. I mean, that whole entire sequence was literally in a Rick and Morty episode. Yeah. That's where they, it's, like the, it's the eye hole thing where they're licking people's eye holes, eye holes and yes. it's very sexual. You get the idea that they're basically for, uh, performing fellatio and in Rick and Morty, it works because Rick and Morty is a perverse world. 
it's built to kind of saddle with this adolescent puberty driven child, Morty. Yes. And the nihilistic behavior of his grandfather, Rick. Rick. So it fits in that world and the humor works because it's always been that from day one. This isn't Star Trek. And this is the dangers, David, of doing a show like this. Because, yes, we can have fun. And I, I'm going to be fair to the Lower Decks writers because they've never done this before. This is the first episode that I just think is a complete fuck up. Yeah. This is Star Trek canon. There's no room for this type of shit in Star Trek. I am sorry. This isn't Star Trek. Especially, especially when the elements that they were trying to convey, you know, the whole idea of the, the importance of first contact. And that in itself was just like lost in the shuffle. And, you know, the whole thing about technology versus nature. Yeah, it's been in Star Trek and it's been done well. But here, dude, it's an afterthought. It's, it's an simply, afterthought. It's simply there so they can say, uh, 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 look, we do have something there exactly. at Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. This and that's, was, that's what the, it felt like they were using those elements to be, where it's like, we're trying to dress this up as Star Trek. Yeah. And it's a shame because I'm like going, this is for me, this is actually the first, first time in lower decks where I feel that the writing team just almost, it feels like they got lazy for one episode where it's like, okay, what do we do? Well, this worked in Rick and Morty. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it this way. Because like, even with the, uh, with the introduction of the, I think it's pronounced the Arier, the, the bird people. <laughs> the Areolas, you the mean? The Areolas. But the Arier <laughs> is like. That part was funny. It was funny, but I was like going, there was just something about it where I was like, going, this doesn't feel like a Star Trek alien species. You know what I mean? Yeah, David, it wasn't good. The yeah. episode wasn't good. I, I don't know what else really to say about it other than the fact that it, I mean, if they didn't bring in the the cast at the end of Lower Decks to kind of bring some type of Star Trek flavor to it. I mean, this, I would probably say, fuck this episode. I'm not even going to talk about it. Oh, I, I, I agree. This is the one that basically I was like, <laughs> I was wondering when, before we were going to cover it, I'm like going, I wonder if he's in the same page as I am, which is, I did not like this episode. I, I felt uncomfortable. And I was like going, I didn't really in, Laugh at it. David, it's uncomfortable, not because we're uncomfortable with perverse comedy. It's uncomfortable for us because it doesn't belong in Star Trek. Yes. And we don't know how to feel about that because I was trying to figure that out as well. I spent the better part of the day pondering this as if I have nothing better to do with my life. I'm pondering a fucking stupid episode because it bothered me. Like, this shouldn't be here. This episode shouldn't fucking exist. Yeah. And and the only the only saving grace for it that I can I came up with after watching it, I think I watched it like twice, and I just basically said, okay, I gotta figure out how to break this down. The only saving grace is Peanut Hamper in the very end. That's you it. Know, coming to the realization that Peanut Hamper, there is no redemption for her. She is a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, when she flew away again, and at first I was like, okay, so Peanut Hamper saved the day. Redemption story complete. 
okay, there's a story arc. She learned. She went from A, B to C to D, and she changed. I'm like, okay, good. But then at the end, when she fucks over everyone again, before you find out that she's a villain, I'm like, not only is this episode perverse and doesn't fit in the world of Star Trek, there's literally no character development because Hina Hamper learned absolutely Absolutely nothing. nothing until the end. When they revealed where they put her, I was like, okay. Yes. That at least nullifies one critique I have about the episode, dealing with zero character development. Because we were dealing with a character that's completely amoral, has no boundaries, and obviously in some weird way fits the template of a villain. Yes. And essentially what they're doing is, especially with this one, is they're setting up a major villain for the lower decks team because those three, I mean, you had multiple AIs at the very end. Mm -hmm. It's obvious that basically that's going to come back someday. Yeah. All of them working together, all of them working together. Yeah. And it's going to be bad. And, and that's the thing that I really liked about it was like, when you take a step back, it's like, you know what? This I did not like the episode at all, but I like the setup of the villain. Yeah. I mean, now I'm waiting. Okay. We're <laughs> for my purpose because I brought him up and he is one of my favorite characters that I've ever, ever seen is badgie. Yeah. I want to see where badgie fits into this because he fits perfectly into the, that, that crew. <laughs> yeah. But badgie almost feels like he would be in the end. He would make the right decision. He'd make the right he'd, decision. He'd be one yes. of those villains. Yeah. So, yes, the the concept behind this villain origin story is intriguing, and it could have worked if some changes were made overall. I like villains that aren't so obvious, meaning when you subvert expectations by not using a traditional archetype of an antagonist, that's always a pleasant surprise. It's interesting to see an exocomp that talks with the same vernacular as a female TikTok influencer. I mean, that, that ends up being a baddie. That is clever. That's clever. That's good. And it's appropriate for lower decks humor. And, and as a parallel, when you parallel it with, I obviously feel that they're going to pair them up is Agamus. Mm-hmm. When you get her to pair with Agamus. That's Jeffrey they, Combs, right? That's Jeffrey Combs. I fucking love it. And I'm like, going, that pairing is actually beautiful vocally. Yeah. Because you have, you just like you said, this TikTok person with Agamus, who's Jeffrey Combs, who's just like this. I fucking love him. I love his voice. His voice is perfect for a villain. His best character, in my opinion, is not from Deep Space Nine, even though I appreciate his work in Deep Space Nine. I liked um, his character in Enterprise. Enterprise. That's that, that's the, my favorite character. Um, Shrek? Shrek? Shrek. I yeah. forgot his name now, but yeah, he was, he's great, dude, as the Andorian. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll, give me a spinoff with him. <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that, dude. Shran. Shran, right? I think it's. Sh- I think I his name is Shran. Oh no, I'm thinking Shax. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, 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 I it's, think it's, you're it's right. Shran. Yeah. It's Shran. But like, that's why I'm really the, the 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 frustrating part about this episode. While I don't like it, it leaves me intrigued because I want to see Agamemnon and Peter Hamford together. That, like I said, Dave, that's the best part because it alludes to something bigger. But that doesn't make the episode good, Dave. It doesn't make it. It, it actually might be the first really bad episode of Lower Decks. Oh, it's, oh, yeah. It's not even that funny. 
Mm-mm. I don't find it's it's my problem with Rick and Morty, and I know we're not reviewing Rick and Morty, but it's my problem with Rick and Morty. I think season four, season one through three is near perfect. Season four, during the the opening, I don't know, fifty percent of the of that season, it you you go from something with lots of substance because even though you had that perverted humor there was a lot of substance there between seasons one and three season four just threw out all the the deep meaning of the show and traded it for just perverse joke after perverse joke where dragons rape humans and rape each other (laughs) and it's just so fucking stupid and there's nothing being said that's what I feel about this episode of Lower Decks. There's just really nothing here. They traded out all the, the cleverness that this show has, has obviously has the ability to work within, you know, the, the clever aspects of humor and making it fit into the world of Star Trek. And yet they just threw all that out so they can make a few juvenile jokes, jokes. that aren't really even funny. It's actually kind of, I mean, not to sound like a Star Trek snob, I just don't think something like this belongs in Star Trek. It's bad taste. It's bad form. And it feels a bit weak to resort to something like this for a laugh. And it's derivative as fuck. If you think about it, it's not even unique in regards to Lower Decks itself. Because remember, we've had episodes before where they do uncomfortable things with sexual uh, exploits. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Janeway, you know, making her perfect man in the holodeck, but like even, even in lower decks, I mean, remember we had a, we had an episode in lower decks where there were, they, I think it was like, wasn't it like some kind of gorilla alien species that would rape each other. Yeah. See, yeah. <laughs> and see, then you get that. Okay. So that's also some of that Mike McMahon perverseness coming in, but the overall episode wasn't about that. Yes. And that's the difference between that and this. That's a very good example. Where you, this was front and center. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing about Peanut Hamper and Rorsa. (laughs) It was the whole story. That's the whole story. And that's what, that's uh, for me was like the one thing that pulled you out of it as a Star Trek fan. Because everything else, there was all those Star Trek elements they could have dabbled in. But no, <laughs> we, we had to make, we had to do the uh, Rick and Morty thing. And that's how I felt afterwards is like, it almost felt like Mike McMahon just said, you know what? I need to do this one episode in Lord Dicks that is just utterly Rick and Morty and utterly nonsense. And that's what, that's what this episode feels like. It, yeah. it doesn't feel like it, 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 if you were to skip this episode, you wouldn't miss much. You wouldn't. And the only time you would miss much is if and when Mike McMahon pulls out the ace card, which is he brings back those two villains. Yeah. That's the only reason why you would actually go back and watch this episode is like, oh, wait, how did, how did Peanut Hamper and Agamemnon get together? Well, how did this happen? You have to go back and watch this episode then. Yeah, well, part of the problem might be the fact that the writer of the episode, I'm not going to call out her name because I don't want to. I don't want anyone to think I'm shit talking, but um, she's she doesn't really have any writing experience. She's a story editor is what she's an executive story ed- editor for the most part. And she's written, I want to say officially, uh, I don't know, 12 episodes, maybe. No, she wrote. 
one episode during season one. I think that's it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not too I could surprised. be wrong with that because I the IMDb did a stupid update that makes it really fucking hard to I'm not too surprised though and I think that this is one of those episodes where it's kind of like okay she's written three episodes she's averaging one episode a season now the question becomes what were those episodes <laughs> <laughs> okay here we go temporal edict season one episode three I don't remember that episode at all. Okay. But we actually loved the hell out of the first season, except for that first episode. So obviously she can write, right? It depends. You know, I this, mean, you know, this episode we're talking about right now has the lowest rating, but we're not the only ones. <laughs> <laughs> because I think Star Trek fans know what feels like Star Trek and what doesn't. I excretus from season two. I excretus from season two. Let me see what that one is. A consultant arrives on the USS Cerritos to run drills that require the lower decks and bridge crew to swap duties. Oh, that was the. the that I was, was okay the, with that episode. That, that, that episode was okay, but basically, that was the whole thing where the one guy came in and uh, they had to figure out uh, how how to talk to him. Yeah, maybe it's not her fault. Maybe it was, as we know, showrunners what they do. I mean, they all, for the most part, they're the ones who, who's crafting the story, and they just make assignments for people to write the episodes. You know, after that initial breaking of the story before the season officially gets down to writing, right? So who knows? I, I mean, who knows what's I, I just wanna fucking get over it. <laughs> I wanna forget <laughs> this think, episode ever happened. I think I think this is a speed bump. Yeah, this I is hope, honestly I a hope speed so. Bump. Although David, I will say that season three I've I season three is up and down, Dave. It is. I mean, this episode comes right after one of the better episodes of Lower Decks to date which was the Deep Space Nine episode. And yes. this season, for the most part, it's like the stock exchange currently. It's just going up and down, uh, up and down. Yeah. There, there isn't a consistency in quality this season. There yeah. are one, there's one or two episodes that are good. Then an episode that's not good at all or average, I should say. It just seems a little inconsistent. Now, bringing, changing the subject, but adding a little more discussion here when it comes to the raunchiness of the series. There was a recent interview which I think Mike McMahon realized he needed to do. <laughs> he had to. Uh, he does a, he did an interview where he gets into the ins and outs and the challenges of adapting a Star Trek uh, animated series that's designed for adults, which that's a new thing because originally, if you remember, this was a series that was supposed to appeal to everyone. Yeah. Not adults, but now it's being referred to as an adult animated show, which I would definitely agree that it has become more and more mature Especially as, this the, as the show has progressed. Yeah. So, okay. So sitting down with the Hollywood reporter, McMahon acknowledged that he and the writers walk a fine line when it comes to raunchy humor. Well, you guys definitely crossed the line in this, <laughs> in this one. Uh, referring to one memorable scene in, in particular where Mariner walks into an orgy See, that was different though. But that because, was funny. Because that's more, that's almost, that's like set dressing. It's not what the story is about. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, the humor in that was funny. Yeah. Because we all were laughing because Mariner was so uncomfortable with the entire thing. And that's what, I think also when you take a look at this episode, the, the one 
hindrance is, and I've seen this online, people talking about this episode. If this was Mariner, I think it would have been received more, be, but because it's Peanut Hamper, who is so unlikable because, yes, in the end, we have to come to the realization she's a villain. Yeah. But because they went that route, I think because it's Peanut Hamper, it really does take away the humor. We're not laughing at it because we don't like Peanut Hamper. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that it, I think this episode is just void of, of a soul dude. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's not, like I said, I'm not offended. I just don't feel like something like this belongs in Star Trek the way it was done. Now the article continues. Uh, the comedy has to be unexpected and has to be funny, right? I'm very often being like, okay, if we're going to do a raunchy joke, it has to be a raunchy joke that has its origins in Star Trek. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good strategy. That's a good my strategy. Good man. Um, you know, tonguing a hole isn't necessarily <laughs> um, staying to the origin of Star Trek. Sorry, buddy. It was important that the raunchy jokes fit within the Star Trek universe, which takes place. Oh my God, this is him fucking justifying the stupidity, which takes place in a future where humanity is more socially liberated. We know this. <laughs> this know. isn't uh, an instance of sexual liberation. No. <laughs> what, what we saw with the exocomp was not that. He also goes to say that female goes on to say female empowerment is common. Racism does not exist. And society is not quite as shocked by sex and nudity. Yeah. So McMahon says that they decided to make a joke of Mariner being particularly uncomfortable because of Boimler's involvement. That's different. That's different. That's different. That, as I said, is it's sex because it's isn't, Mariner. Sex isn't perverse. The way sex has been portrayed in Star Trek, it's never been perverse. Yes. Tonguing a hole. <laughs> you have to say it like that. That's... <laughs> The best way for people to visualize it because we're an audio show. Yes. And I want people to visualize that because that's what we saw. He goes on to say that he wanted Mariner to be uncomfortable because of Boimler's involvement rather than just because of the sexual content in the scene. And, th and again, that's different. Yes. That's different. We're talking about basically in this episode with Peanut Hamper. It's. There was nothing funny about it. He says, McMahon goes on to say that sex is a part of the DNA of Star Trek. I 100% agree with that. David, how many times have I said during our discussions for, for Discovery and Strange New Worlds, Star Trek's always been, it had this sexual vibrance to it. Yeah. But the people are sexual. They're attractive. They're they're sexually liberated. You have an entire planet that's dedicated to satisfying pleasures. The Ferengi literally are orgasming with the, with the touch of an ear. ear. That's different. Now, if you did an entire episode about a Ferengi's ear, then that would be more up Mike McMahon's alley when it comes yes. to an episode like this. But that's not what Star Trek's about. It's not about fingering Quark's ear hole. <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference. I, I feel like McMahon is really trying to, I think he's reaching. Yes. I think he's reaching. He says, but you know, there are TNG episodes of a whole orgy of a frozen naked and dead people. Yes. Yes. You're right. 
is not something that hasn't been in Star Trek before. There's been illusions in TNG that Worf is bisexual. Yeah, there's people been don't want to accept it, but it's there. But that's the thing. There, it's always done with subtlety, and it's not done right in your face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, I have, I'm not a prude. I think it's very clear. Oh, when people I think listen it's very to the show. People know us. No. Yeah, it's just the way this episode was done. I think I don't think McMahon thought. You know what? We're gonna fuck this up. I think he was doing what he does. He walks the line, and they stumbled here. Yeah, they stumbled. They made they made a fucking mistake. And the thing is, is like it, it's not a series crusher. I will no, say, that. no, no, it's at not all. a series no, no, crusher. No. It's just basically, as I said, it's a speed bump. I, I think that this is probably going to go down among Star Trek fans. I think this is going to be go down as one of the most disliked episode of all the seasons of Lower Deck so far. Yeah, I think, in my opinion. Just because it's, there's no, there's no, no point to it. It's no point. You're right. There's no point to it. So let's go to end this discussion, Dave. In under 30 seconds, give me your final thoughts and your score. Okay. My final thoughts and the score is going to surprise everyone because I have been a champion of lower decks for a long time. Yeah. I know. Last episode you gave it was 93%. A 93. This was a big step back. This, mm-hmm. But it's not a series crusher, as I said. Right. So I came down with a 62 on on this one because <laughs> from 93 to 62. See what I'm talking about, dude? That's inconsistent. The, this season is inconsistent. It's inconsistent. And, and that's the biggest problem with this episode, too, is like just overall the narrative inconsistency in it really hurt it because I was like going, you were such on a roll from the last episode that dealt with showing everyone's growth and everything else. And then you jump to a character that we are not connected to Mm -hmm. as an audience. No one gave a shit about peanut hamper. Yeah. (laughs) So it was like, when you jump to peanut hamper, it's like, okay, why are we here? What's the whole point about this? And then in the very end, when you just do a 180 and basically just show, Oh, he's a villain. Mm -hmm. It's like, Okay, clever, but now you just made the this this episode even more annoying because it's kind of like okay, there's no point to actually like this episode. Yeah, and you just made us sit through. I think it was like how long is a issue? Uh, uh, twenty seven minutes too minutes? long, Dave. Twenty seven minutes. minutes too long, and it, and exactly it was twenty seven minutes too long. Yeah. Okay, so I laughed when you said 62% because that's very close to my grade. My percentage of giving this episode is 58%. I couldn't it, bring it myself by to give it a 50. It is the worst episode of any Star Trek I've watched in the last, since this new era of Star Trek started. And it might be the worst episode of Star Trek ever. I don't think I could give any episode of Star Trek through all my years of rewatches, I don't think anything matches a 58%. Maybe a 65. Maybe. What about, what about from Picard? Because we gave some really bad scores in Picard. Oh, oh hmm. you know what? You might be right. I had have to go back and listen. I, I, I try to forget about Picard. To me, that's not, that's not part of canon. It's so stupid. Well, put it this way. This, this joins that, that rank. Yeah. 
Welcome, Mike McMahon. You've joined a, a very exclusive club. No. Overall, Mike McMahon knows what he's doing. I think he just stumbled. I think he just stumbled. Yeah. It's, I mean, I mean, listen, the last episode was an 88% for me and a 93%. 93% for me. It's just a little up and down this season. Yeah. All right. So on that note, I want to bring this discussion to a close. I want to thank everyone for listening. Also, remember, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. When you pledge, you gain access to a mini show that we do called Unimatrix Zero. And basically, it's a pre-show uh, where we discuss the things that we don't have time to get into during our normal discussions. Uh, three bucks a month. That's it. Or you, you can subscribe for the year and save i think you get two months free something like that so it's like if you spend 30 bucks you get the entire year and you get a bunch of additional star trek content because we also do um we do pre-shows all the time right pretty much every time we do a show every time we do the show the last one we just did i think was supposed to be like 15 <laughs> minutes and it was nearly <laughs> like 40 40 yeah so you never know what you're gonna get that's the fun part about it okay david thank you Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.